It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. One happy Wednesday. Welcome to a special episode of the Better Faster Podcast. We're joined once again by Mara Argurio, soon to be Mara Jones. You got, oh, okay. you got engaged since we did this last time, right? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank and it was like a complete surprise, complete correct? Complete surprise. Well, congrats to you. I have my nails done. Didn't you? Oh, it speaks for like the pictures on Instagram. But you still got all the likes you wanted, I assume, right? So that's all that matters. Right, right. Congratulations, by the way. That, that, that rock is big. It hurts my eyes every day looking at it. So oh um, I'm very happy for you, too. And I am looking forward to that destination wedding in Cyprus in a year or two, right? So awesome. That's going to be great. (laughs) So um, I appreciate you you jumping on 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 short notice for this episode, but you've kind of intentionally, unintentionally become the the ACL guru of basically the entire state of South Carolina. I mean, we have people traveling to see you and it's and it's crazy because you're doing such good work. And um, I mean, what we were talking about your caseload yesterday is like half of it was all ACL. Yeah. And it's such a mix, right? It's different athletes, it's different phases in their timelines, prehab, you know, some, you know, right in the early stages, middle end. So um, I wanted to, and I know you're just so up to date on all these things. So I wanted to just use this opportunity to get your perspective on some of the, the the main points of the things that you're seeing and and what you know maybe some of the latest research is saying uh, about how we should be addressing these things for the short term and the long term outcomes. So why don't we get rolling here? We we just for funsies we did a, a poll on our Instagram the other day. We were asking the listeners because you're having a conversation with one of your patients who yep. was prehab, correct? Mm-hmm. Who is prehab? Yep. And he's getting what kind of graft? He is getting a hamstring graft. Okay, cool. So we did a poll. We were asking if if you were to get in ACL reconstruction, what graft would be your choice? So we had the four choices being the bone, patellar tendon bone, or patellar tendon is what mm-hmm. most people call it, hamstring autograft, quad tendon autograft, which that one is very intriguing to me, and then the, the cadaver allograft. Yeah. And patellar bone, tendon bone one, yeah. followed by what, hamstring, followed yeah. by quad tendon, and then it's like literally one person out of yeah. the whole poll did allograft. Yeah, and I think it's also because that's, I guess, the most researched, the most known, um, like the, still the gold standard standard and I think mm-hmm. there's still not enough research on the quad 10 graph but I think we will start seeing a lot more so what would you get I I think I would still get the bone for teletendon would you um, I'm quad 10 all the way I just I haven't seen enough of that and I haven't seen enough research on that that I that I'm still unsure I got you that's but, fair um well, nothing's free, right? That's that's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is is with your your hamstring, you are going to be spending an extra amount of time getting that yeah. hamstring strength and function back. It's going to typically take you longer. 
I imagine quad tendon. So I've treated many in ACL over yeah. my career, ACL reconstruction. I have yet to see a quad tendon. I know you have one. You currently yeah. have it on the caseload. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding, it seems like there'd be less long-term adverse effects because then you look at the patellar bone, I'm sorry, the bone patellar tendon bone, where they take a piece of the bone at the top, a sliver of the patellar tendon, a piece of the bone at the bottom, and therefore you're going to be more likely to have some long-term bony pain, yeah, some tendinopathy exactly. issues arise, or you know, arthritic type conditions, things like that. But even with that being said, regardless of the type of graft, there's things that you can do or you need to be doing in your rehab that can keep that stuff from happening. I know we're going to get into that in a little bit, right, because you were yeah. not talking before the show. So I guess just... Any other initial thoughts about that, about graft choice? No, I think, you know, patients always ask us, and we've talked about it too. Like, at the end of the day, it's, like you said, whatever the surgeon has more confidence mm-hmm. doing and can do best, I think that's what they go with. I yeah, that's the number one, cho- number one yeah. reason for is, is a, is a, a surgeon's choice, choice, right? And then yeah. it's kind of followed by the, the technique, how well the surgeon drills the tunnels it, yeah. in the direction. Right, so. And the last time I checked... The, the gold, like you mentioned, you mentioned the gold standard yeah. is still patellar tendon, but mm-hmm. the differences in re tear rate are statistically insignificant. Yep, yep, and strength too is right. getting less and less. So sure, sure. So let's talk about let's talk about just just what needs to be addressed, right? So why don't we think about maybe some of these um, things we can't control, right? So for example, males versus females, right? Yeah. What, what, do, what do we know about that? So females are, I think it's eight or nine or maybe seven, seven to nine times more likely to... Let's just go with eight, right in the... Eight, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I do not remember. Um, so obviously anatomical, um, anatomical things make them more at risk. Um, and then hormonal things. There's some evidence in the research about some hormonal things where they are in their menstrual cycle during the in, during the injury and whatnot. And then I honestly think the biggest thing is that girls are not as sporty as like out there playing mud, doing all that stuff like like boys are early on. And then also like in high school and then in college, um, you get all the boys being in the strength room, learning how to jump, how to probably do all these things. Whereas girls aren't getting as much of that. And I think it is improving, but there is still a little bit of a gap. Um, so I think a big part is just the biomechanics of jumping and landing and all that stuff. So you think, you think some of us more of a, of a nurture versus yes, nature? I really do. So curious. So you, yeah. your time growing up in Cyprus, that versus your time playing college sports, D1, tennis, at College of Charleston. Did you see any differences in, the, in girls versus boys and the upbringing and attitudes towards the weight room and things like that in different parts of the world? Yeah, absolutely. But I think oh, in different parts of the world, I think there's you see it in Cyprus too, you see it here too, that girls are don't want to lift as much, don't want to do as much. Um, I think you see it in, in Europe, you see it here too, but I I was always one that was more of a tomboy, more out there, and I loved doing it. So um, I didn't see it too much of myself. Yeah. But. Hey, y'all, I think about that from time to time because I, yeah, I've been in this this fitness world for a long time now, and and sometimes I feel like I, I can't I can't see the forest for the trees, and so like my circle of friends, like everybody's like into fitness and, and yeah, prioritizes and that males and females equally. Yeah. But then if that's you, a if, small part right, of it, exactly. Think, yeah. You look yeah. outside the circle, and it's uh-huh. like no, there's still We're U.S. population. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're yeah. in a bubble. So that, that's always good yeah. to be reminded about yeah. that, right? Oh, yeah. And to try to make sure we communicate appropriately with these patients and yeah. meet them where they're at in that regard because sure. these things don't change overnight, especially when they're so ingrained in someone's psyche. Now, a couple other things I wanted to 
backtrack on it about males versus females. So when you when you mention hormonal implications, um, would that have to do more so like like basically during a certain time period like menstrual cycles or do you think that just long-term development through puberty you know we know that males gonna tend to have more muscle mass more body strength more bone mineral density probably because of the increased muscle mass things like that or does that matter and then anatomically i know that in in pt school they teach you to measure q angles and about how females have larger q angles and and that probably has to do with the, the birth canal and so on and so forth any and i'm probably giving you two separate things i probably should be putting no, together any thoughts about those points i th- i hate to say this but i think both matter what you said about the hormonal stuff both like what part of the menstrual cycle you're in and then also um just your general just generally being a female um but I don't, I'm not an expert in that, so I'm not 100% okay. sure on what the research says um, for that. But I think both play a role. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I had a project actually where I did look in school where I looked at research on that, and it's still like pretty vague, pretty limited. Um, so I think it's just one aspect of it. I don't think it's the whole thing. Um, sure. And I do think that can affect also retail rates um, potentially after for like pre puberty um, female. Gotcha. I think. Okay. Makes sense. Makes okay. sense. And then landing mechanics. Something. I think yeah, I think that's the biggest one. Just, um, just your that vulgus landing, and I know we talk about it. That's not always bad, and it isn't. Um, however, um, learning proper mechanics when like just for jumping or just for like cutting and turning, um, that's when it does matter. Yeah. Um, so I, I, we should definitely dive into that because you know you did. I know we were talking about coming up with that reel yeah, that's on our yeah. on the Vertex social media about training valgus positions which in school it's like do not ever do this or, or your patient's oh, yeah. knee will explode in front of your eyes and, and you're going to die but it actually it, it's it can be a functional position yeah. it's something we're all going to inevitably get into especially an athlete at some point so why not be strong within that yeah. so let's definitely make sure we talk about yeah. that because i feel like if if that's not done properly it's that's not addressed and the job's probably not done right yeah. just like you said uh-huh. in post right yeah yeah it's yeah so before we get into this, I'd say that's more that's end stage, right? That's something we do at the end. Mm-hmm. Why don't we? Can you give the listeners, especially potential patients that might be listening to this, that are contemplating ACL reconstruction versus prehab and stuff like that? Can we maybe talk about like so, like an outline, kind of like the life cycle of what physical therapy looks like for an ACL? Maybe let's even talk about prehab first. Yeah. So what is prehab? So yes, prehab is basically rehab before you get your ACL reconstruction surgery. Um, we've seen. I've had two or three patients um, come in for prehab, which is great because research does support it. Um, it does show like four to six weeks of prehab can have better outcomes later on. Um, so for prehab, you still want to address range of motion limitations, especially knee extension. want to get that as close to um, what the other side is, whether that's um, hyperextension or whatever the other side is. want to get it as close to that. Um, and then just hammering down strength and all the volume all the intensity um just to get them as strong as possible in those four four five six weeks yeah that's that's huge because you mentioned the range of motion i feel like the psychology is patients want to get that knee to bend they want the flexion right because you can see it right it's bigger numbers and you can kind of chase you know we're going from 90 degrees to 100 something but what people don't realize is for the short and the long term, that extension is, is crucial. That's the part of your access. So like a walk normal. We know from long-term studies that patients, ACL reconstruction patients who regain their full extension, even hyperextension yeah. is better. They're going to have less incidence of osteoarthritis later on in life. And that's probably because the joint's less compressed, I would think, probably think, going yeah. through basic daily motions, things like that. So that's huge. 
like you mentioned, get as much strength. Right? So you don't want to go into surgery weak. You don't want to go into surgery tight because it's going to make it that much harder to get it afterwards. Yeah. And I also think just being able to have people familiar with what PT is going to look like, just just even just the routine of coming into the clinic and how you start getting to know you as their therapist. Because yeah. that's one of the cool things about ACL reconstructions is you get to know these people. You're with them for a long time. So there's a bonding yeah. thing that occurs. And, you know, eventually you get to just go to their games and watch yeah. them compete again yeah, in their no, sports and that kind of that's stuff. That's what you just said actually is a huge thing um, that I forgot to mention. I think having them for prehab and getting like talking with them, getting like expectation management, like letting them know what to expect. And then for them to have like getting in touch with their school trainers, athletic trainers, coaches, whatever, mm-hmm. just so everyone can be on the same page. Um, I think that helps a ton. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So that's big. I think not as dressed as much as it should. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So prehab, we talked about the importance of that. Now, Talk about what day rehab, day one rehab, or the first few weeks of rehab, what that kind of looks like yeah. and what the goals are. Yes. So um, I tell my patients day one, um, and usually they'll come like one or two, day, two days after. We've had people come two days after their surgery. Um, it's decreased swelling, obviously the big one. Um, get that full knee extension, and that is usually not zero. It is whatever the other side is, which is usually a little few degrees of hyperextension. Um, and then get that quad activating because you will be kind of hard, like inhibited following the surgery. Um, so get that activated, get that firing, um, just so we can really quickly start working on quad strength mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. Um, so those are my three big ones from day one. So a follow-up question with that is I've been watching you, and it, you, it looks like you, you will incorporate blood flow restriction, BFR, on, on day one. Yeah. And, and talk about why that's so important, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, well, you want it. So day one, we can't. They're usually in the brace. They can't do as much. Um, they can't. They're not. We're not going to do anything super intensive or really anything strength um wise so bfr is a great way to get that strength get that hypertrophy going from again day one um in a safe way in a controlled way um whether that's with like a quad set working on terminal in the extension as well Mm -hmm. um or some kind of tke push um anything you anything they can tolerate yeah yeah that's great yeah because historically before BFR came around, and we've done episodes about that in the past. It was originally developed at Center for the Intrepid, Fort Sam Houston Soldiers for the Limb Salvage Unit. But historically, as physical therapists, when patients would come in to see us, we could only do so much in terms of creating the stimulus needed to get hypertrophy, right? You know, yeah. at least 60% yeah. of one rep max and, you know, higher, moderate to high volume to create that. And, and you're not going to be able to do that day one because this person just came off the of surgery. You don't want to tear yeah. stuff along the way. And so the BFR, the blood flow restriction allows you to do very light exercises, but to stimulate that stimulus that's going to give them hypertrophy or maybe even just inhibit or retard atrophy a little bit yeah. right mm-hmm. and 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 that's so important for the long-term outcome right when you talk about long-term we need to get extension hyperextension back but also girth yeah. size matters right oh, yeah, yeah. When it comes to, yeah when it comes it to better exactly. America. exactly yeah but yeah that's right that's the american way right but that is going to be a really really important yeah. thing yeah. And, and so that probably that might actually be a good segue into talking about what sort of like the mid part of rehab looks like for an ACL reconstruction because at some point it's going to kind of blend with a good strength conditioning program. It's yes. almost like I'll let you, I don't want to yeah, no, bury your lead, but it's almost like I tell people it's almost like we're, you know, if we're looking at a periodized program, we're doing this really long block of hypertrophy training and maybe we can dive into what that would consist of and sort of how you prioritize and sequence things. Yeah, I would say, um, 
depending on what graph they have, um, it's when, so usually start off with quad strength, um, quad strength, quad strength, quad strength. Um, especially if they have a hamstring graft, I'll usually delay um, how much I'm targeting the hamstring at first just to let that heal. Um, and then um, kind of in the mid point, mid, I guess later midpoint, it turns to where I usually have like a quad day and then a hamstring day because that's, it's going to be super important, especially if they have a hamstring gap, but even if they don't really, um, to address the hamstrings. So I'll kind of mix it up in that, um, in that sense. And then obviously once they start running, once they start the plyometric stuff, it turns into more of a, yeah, like you said, a strength and conditioning kind of session um, where we're targeting strength, hypertrophy, and also just like power, explosiveness, mm-hmm. force development, um, cutting, changing direction, and all that stuff. Yep. So just to piggyback off of what you said, you, you mentioned like in the beginning, it's it's a big emphasis on quads because yeah. we need yeah. to get that strength and size back. But then at some point it tends to shift to more of a hamstring emphasis because you're, you're the way i also like to explain to patients your hamstring is is like your your muscle acl yes. right it basically works along with those ligaments to prevent that that tibia that shin bone from shooting forward yeah. from t- translating excessively anteriorly blah 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 and so we have to establish really good strength all around but especially that eccentric control yeah. so you gotta be able to hit the brakes right mm-hmm. whenever you're doing yeah. all your explosive Easily. stuff things yeah. like that and so um I know that uh, as we're talking about more end-stage stuff and kind of getting into more of the plyometric things, jumping landing mechanics, things like that, you had mentioned before the episode rate of force development that yes. there's some there's some stuff that's been brought to to the surface about how, how that's important. So this is this is, is new to me. It's, so do you mind kind of explaining yes, what this is so, all about? Um, so return to sport testing, our usual tests are that – most people know are the hop tests and we can go into them in a later on uh, but i also i've been reading some more research on um talking about like instead of just like for, like jumping for distance jumping for height as well can be um one of like a good indicator for return to sport and then mm-hmm. also actually measuring your rate of force development during your jump um it's fairly new so i haven't did, like I don't know exactly like the parameters or what you're trying, what we're trying um, to get out of it. It's just some, something else to consider, to think about. Well, whether it's during your um, your programming, like considering that as well, explosiveness, power development, etc., um, and then also considering it when you when we are um, thinking about returning to sport. Mm-hmm. And I think there are those you know those platforms where you can actually measure it. But again, yeah, like I think it's plate. yeah um, still early yeah. like, to see if it actually how much it does matter. Gotcha. And and if your uh, seasoned PT, newer PT, whatever, and you're just looking for some new ideas how to how to train all these explosive dynamic things. Check out Mars Sports Physio on Instagram, right? You got some pretty creative things that you've come up with, and and, and it's 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 fun for the patients, yeah, right? Yeah, no, black. I love it. I it's, think uh, yeah, I mean it gets them it gets fun. them so invested, in, and and I think that's like half the reason why they enjoy coming because yeah, they you're going to give them something it. that's oh, just yeah. engaging and fun There's in that regard. So much you can you do. Know? So I do, I actually made sure I started this, but the valgus position, right? Yes. So, so the valgus position, all right, let's, let's talk about what it is for people who might understand. So think if you've ever watched any sporting event in your life, football, basketball, soccer, whatever, and you've seen a non-contact tear of the ACL, it's that usually when they're going to make a cut, correct? And it's that position where the foot's planted, their knee kind of caves in, and then they go down on the ground, and turns out they tore their ACL. So and with that, it's oftentimes not just their ACL, right? It might be the terrible triad, the ACL, MCL, medial meniscus as well. But 
that position we mentioned is a lot of times going to be inevitable. It's going to be part of the sport. In, in our combat sport athletes, that's a defensive position. They have to get in that in order to be able to win their matches or their MMA events, whatever it might be. So what are your thoughts about yeah. training that? And, and so, I can give you some thoughts about that, yeah. too, things I've learned over um, the years. So we have a wrestler. So they're in that, like you said, they're in that position all the time. Um, and then also rotational athletes, whether that's tennis players, golfers, baseball players. They're, if you look at their swings, they're in that position um, every, all the time. So goal of rehab is to get the athlete strong in that position so when they so if even if it's a contact or even if it's like an acceleration into that position or whatnot they have the strength to control it and to tolerate the demands that are going to come at come to them um whereas earlier on when we talked about like girls kind of correcting that position that's because they don't they don't even have the strength or control to get into that position they're just kind of because they're so weak getting into that position so um i know i said at the beginning like we don't want we want to train girls to like not be in that position but that's because they're weak in it whereas now it's more so to where we're strengthening people to actively actually get into that position mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah it makes sense so basically you you need to learn how to control it yes. in a nutshell so one of the the cool things this is probably the only literally the only good thing that's ever come out of a communist country but in russia they dissect their athletes post-mortem, okay? And we know that Russia, all their athletes are juiced to the gills, right? The only people that aren't are the ice skaters, and they said this because it made them worse. <laughs> that's, that's really the reason why, right? So we got we got to acknowledge that. That's part of it, right? They they're, they're, they're oh have a higher God. juice concentrate than Tropicana. But <laughs> what they learned was that their athletes' ligaments, specifically the ACL, was much thicker. The ligaments were thicker yeah. than yeah. the normal population. Yes, PDs are going to play a tremendous role in that. And I love PDs, and I think that we should just unleash the hounds and quit drug testing altogether, but I digress. Oh, my gosh. What we know, though, is that if we appropriately, when the time is right, if we actually do stress these ligaments appropriately, they are going to respond and they will get thicker and stronger and more resilient, be able to withstand more forces. And there's a whole cascade of things about messenger RNA from your brain, transcribing into alpha pro and collagen, which, you know, then turns into the the structure that you're targeting, so on and so forth. But it can't just be done willy nilly. It has to be very much controlled, progressive, that kind of thing. But what you don't want is for the first time a person goes into that not need value position to be on the field it needs to yeah. be trained in the in the clinic in the weight room and and addressed periodically yeah and we, we train every other movement and like jumping in all movement planes we train everything else and this is a position that they get in so i don't know why it's so avoided um because you like, it is a position they need to train so it's i hope it get we do better in training that it's it's like uh, it's I, I know that I, I used to work with some old school people surgeons PTs and it was like the old adage don't ever squat below parallel don't let your knees come forward don't lift overhead yeah. things of that nature and I think this certainly falls yeah. in that category there's always caveats everybody's different but again i don't think the job's done if the person can't get in this position control it and do it safely yeah and i'll say from experience from doing this is start really easy it doesn't seem like much of anything Uh, but they haven't been in this position for so long so start with an easy isometric um maybe for like two or three sessions because you will flare them up right Um, i've done it um, so start easy, and we do have a video on progressions on that too on our Vertex page. But um, start easy um, yep. and progress it slowly. For sure. 
So we've successfully gone through all the phases of the rehab. How do we know that the person's ready to get back to their sport? And what is the appropriate timeline here? Yeah. Right? Because I, I had a lot of people for a couple of years were referencing Adrian Peterson, who I think came back to the NFL like five, six months post-op. And, and had a, well, no, no, he didn't. He, oh. he, had a, he actually had an MVP season. He did really well. But that's the exception. You know, yeah. I think he did that. In spite of, not because of, what what his uh, process was. So, what are your thoughts about that in terms of timeline that's appropriate for someone getting back to the sport and how we can test this in the clinic? Because it yeah. tends to be a battery of tests, correct? Yeah. Um, I tell patients from prehab if I get them that it's nine months at a minimum for return to competition. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what evidence, so much evidence has suggested, like nine months is a minimum. Um, and that doesn't mean you're not returning to some training or some modified training. It just means your return to, to competition is not going to be before nine months. It doesn't mean you're not going to start training um, by then. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at in the minimum for competition is nine months. Um, return to sport testing, we have obviously the, the hop test. You got the single leg hop test. Um the triple hop, the crossover, a triple hop, and then the six meter timed. Um, and I actually did these the other day with a, a patient. Um, so those are the ones I tend to use. And then you also have the Y balance test that gives you some really good evidence, especially if you do it early on, on what they need to work on, whether that's like curtsy lunges, pistol squats, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I love doing that for that reason. Um, and actually my patient is, um, he, we tend to say, we said like you need to be at that 95% when you're comparing side to side, that mm-hmm. 5% difference, and he, he isn't yet. Right. Um, so there's work to be done. Yeah, and, and I know right. we, we talked about this too, like some research evidence saying 90%, uh, but now they're actually coming up with that 95%. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like it's, it's historically the journals have said you need to get your patient basically within 10% yeah. of, the, of the unaffected right. leg. But a lot of the clinical commentary has been like 10% is not, not, not enough. We need, to, we need to shave that down to at least five or less. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, nine months minimum, right? You can, minimum, if, you, yeah. if it's feasible and you can keep them longer, that's going to be better. Now, I get it. We have some athletes who make a living off of playing their sport, and we have to beat them where they're at. But whenever they can control it and can make that decision, the longer the better, right? Yeah, for, for sure, sure. For sure. Um, and then quad girth. Yes. Got. Yeah. Just yeah. The whole growth of the leg, right? Everything, right? It needs to be just getting the old tape measure out. And, yeah, and, I and love it. Exactly. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I get so excited. <laughs> so one other thing too that I've noticed has come up a lot recently are the use of psychological questionnaires, yes. and I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Especially we did an episode. It wasn't about ACLs, but with James Fitzgerald a few a while back, and we were talking about just all the systems to get stress. And he had mentioned, you know, like a light bulb went off my in my head about the psychological system about how important that is. What are your thoughts about that, about the use of those and just how important that may be for an athlete to get back to their sport? Yeah, I think that's huge because um, there's so much, if they're not, they hopefully feel confident because the things you're doing in PT are mimicking what they're doing on the field and then you're progressing them gradually. But um, a lot of these athletes, once they're out there, it's a whole different environment. Um, so they're like, there is fear of re-injury. Like I see a lot of like that cutting is slowed down. Um, they feel kind of more isolated. They're not, they have the pressure of teams of if they're getting scholarships and all that. So I think that's a huge, a huge part that we need to do better in too. And I think that, again, I think that starts from prehab and getting your team ready with your, again, your PT, your coach, your family, your friends, like all on board and that, mm-hmm. that one, one, all on one page. Um, but yeah, I think we need to do better in that too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, the whole 
every, everyone needs to be involved and on yeah. the same page. And when one person, it's like when one person is not there, it's the whole thing can fall yeah. apart. It can, it can be bad. So one other thing I wanted to touch on were just some common pitfalls of ACL reconstruction rehab. So patellar tendinopathy, right? We know that if it's not done right, sometimes patients can get just a nagging, you know, initially inflammation and just chronic pain of their patellar tendon. Any, any thoughts about how we can prevent that yeah. and how we sequence things? Yeah, I think a lot of, um, obviously, like the progression from early to mid, just progressing it the right way. Um, so a lot of like knees over toes, obviously you want to progress it to where you're getting to that, but mm -hmm. potentially starting your split squats um, at a 90 degree angle, just initially see how they can tolerate that, loading, loading that, and then slowly progressing it to a little bit further um, of that like shin angle, um, and then a little bit further. Um, so I think that's a big one too. It's like a vertical shin at first, mm -hmm. and then progress it, let it tip it, yeah. forward more and more. Do, yeah, do it so gradually, be smart about it. Yeah, yeah. be smart about it. Um, also, if you, you know, they are complaining about that, don't just, um, don't just like forget about it like address it right then and there mm -hmm. um like because i think i've had a couple people that have had it and we have addressed it like for, for one or two sessions and then it was it's not an issue at all Good. so i Good. think just addressing it when it comes up and then progressing within just being mindful of your progressions too just keep it simple right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be, but just be mindful of it right yeah. some people i think will forget about it and, and do too much too soon and then it's once it's done it's it's hard yeah. to put the toothpaste back in the tube so the next one this is one of this is one of my my personal caveats here or not caveats i don't know what the word is but essentially is there anything worse than these kids that come in who went to the hospital system for four weeks, three months, whatever it is, and they're so far behind oh, and no. they had to miss their season <laughs> because they got thrown into this group of people. You, you, This person had an Achilles tendon repair. This person had a knee scope. These three people had a, a, a ACL reconstruction. They're all doing the same damn thing. Their range of motion sucks. They might not get their extension back. Their girth is so bad side to side. And so we're basically playing catch-up for six months, right? And, oh, and yeah. I, I just had the point, like, I used to, when I was a new clinician and I wasn't as well staffed so you might not care anymore but i just have to tell the parents straight up look yeah, we, we're, it's going to take a long time right we're going to get this person back it just might not be on your terms right yeah. so any any thoughts about that yeah that is the most frustrating thing oh my god because we again prime example is we have patients now that i've had from day one and others that have come like four months after mm -hmm. and it's crazy like the difference in their how their recovery is um but I, I mean, yeah, they, I think it's just awareness. They don't know better. Right. Um, so that's on us, right? We need to put the blame yeah, back on us yeah. as the providers to explain it to the patients, I mean, right? you, you yeah. do. I think they just don't know better, but it is frustrating. Um, and if that does happen, like, you need to make sure you're still, like, going back and addressing that extension. Because if you don't have full extension, you're never going to have full quad strength. So... Um, it's going to take longer, but you need to address these things. Yeah. Even if you just want to just go all on out and strength and power and all that. People don't realize it. I mean, that first, no, that first month, that first don't. four to six it's weeks, so that's going to set the stage yeah. for, for this person's going to get yeah. back to their sport when, when the intended time is, right? So that's, ugh, that's awful. It's the most frustrating Yeah. Thing. So I would say with that, just give us a call. I mean, give us a call. And it's not saying, and I know I picked on the hospital systems, but there's, there are good providers in, in, in the hospital systems. There are bad providers in the hospital systems. And I've been doing this long enough. I can tell you who the good ones or bad ones are if you don't want to come see us because of an insurance reason. Just, just I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you where yeah. not to go. I don't, I don't care. You know, yeah. I just want to make sure you're getting the best for your athlete or yourself if yeah. you're going through that for that matter. And then the last thing, just as a uh, – 
profession from what you've seen, do you feel like we're, we're underloading, underdosing these people or you think we're catching up and doing things the right way as a whole? No, absolutely. Um, again, we live in a bubble. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but I think as a whole, we're definitely underdosing um, and just not doing it in the progression that we should be doing it in. Right. Because um, that, is, that is so, so important. So, yeah, like you said, just make sure you seek out the right place um, for your kid, for your athlete, for your teammate, because um, it's ACL is a long process and you want to get it right mm-hmm. the first time. For sure. Um, Absolutely. This was chock full of gems, really. I mean, yeah. yeah. Is there anything, anything we missed? Anything else you wanted to talk about related, unrelated? No, I don't no. know. I don't did we do an episode since you did the marathon? No. So we, we got to give the listeners a recap. They don't know about it. So, yeah. so the no, goal... We, we did. We, we did? did? Okay, we did. okay. Yeah, so yeah. didn't quite make it to Boston. Hip injury. You've worked through, successfully rehabbed through. Boston's still right? the goal. Boston's still the goal. So we Hip got... Hip doing better. Good. So We're on track. <laughs> next Boston qualifying race is... is... I think I'm doing the Richmond Marathon in November. Okay. Like after my birthday. So Perfect. Perfect. Stay tuned. Awesome. That'll be good. You're going to crush it. So we'll be cheering you all next year. Yeah. Get that... Chase that unicorn, right? Yeah. It's the dream. So for the listeners who are familiar with you haven't heard your previous episodes where can they find you if they want to look you up look at your videos we mentioned maybe even just ask you questions if they're going through this process themselves yeah um mars sports physio um on instagram is probably the easiest and best way to reach out to me or just check out some videos that i put i put some good information on acl stuff too so just give those um look all right. Love it. So for the rest of the listeners out there, if you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button, like, check out all the sponsors and affiliates in the show notes. That'll save you a bunch of money. Get you a ton of equipment that more actually uh, uses yeah. with these patients, right, for the ACL Reconstruction Rehab. Otherwise, this is Better Faster Podcast. We're out. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.